Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You once again for the majesty of Your being. And yet we confess that we are so sinful and our eyes are so dim that we fail to see the majesty that is there. We do look forward to that day when we shall not only be with you in the departed state, that intermediate state, but when we shall be with you in our, our glorified bodies. And to behold the majesty and the honor and the power and the glory and be able to worship You on a far, far greater capacity than we have ever known this side of glory. In fact, at least I can speak for myself that we are so affected by this sinful nature and being in this sinful body and hindered in our praise and worship and adoration that we wonder sometimes if we have ever really worshipped You. We think we have. We would like to think so. And we believe that there have been times when we've had what we would identify as a mountaintop experience. And we're even made to think about old John Warburton on his deathbed when he talked about you drawing so close to him with such fullness that he had to beg you to remove your presence from him. I have no idea what that would be like. And we do not question or doubt Mr. Warburton's experience. We just wonder if we are so caught up in our own sinfulness and our lackadaisical 
attitude that we hold you at arm's length. You plainly said, draw nigh to you and you'll draw nigh to us. And we know that's not some quick thing. We're reminded of Daniel when he prayed and fasted for 21 days wanting to know something about your, your revelation. We sure haven't devoted that much time and energy to trying to figure out your word. Though we do not deny that we have spent some time uh, even laboriously trying to figure out just what your word says, but we don't even profess to be anything like Daniel. And sometimes we just sit back and say, is it all real? And we know it is. So help us not only as we continue this worship and looking into your word, but as we depart from this place and go about our daily routines, help us to draw nigh to you. Thank you for Jesus Christ and his imputed righteousness. And it is in his name we pray. Amen. Coming back to 1 John chapter 4, we kindly hurried over it somewhat this morning, but I'd like to bring us back to chapter 10, excuse me, verse 10, <laughs> only five chapters, so we can't get chapter 10 out of there, can we? 1 John 5, 10, Herein is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sin. Again, we see that God sent His Son. Now, I'm not going to get into the eternal uh, Sonship of Christ and all of the uh, arguments, pro and con, for that. Uh, but I just point this out. It didn't say God sent the second person of the Trinity or God sent the Word and the Word became the Son at birth. It said God sent the Son. It was the Son that was sent. In other words... Uh, the the Son of God is the eternal Son of God. He was always the only begotten of the Father 
full of grace and truth, the eternal Son. And so I just wanted to make that statement and pass on. But He sent to His Son to be the propitiation. Now I want to look at this word propitiation and its kindred words. Uh, the word here is hilasmos, and then there's another one that's kindly real clear, uh, uh, kin to it, is hilasterion, and then you have another one that's called uh, hilaskazahi, and so, but anyway, the, and then heli, they all come from the word helio. And you can hear the helio in all of the words. But uh, they all have to do with the, uh, the Feast of Atonement in the Old Testament or the redemption or the redemptive sacrifice. You remember that in the 10th month of the Hebrew calendar, it was called the Day of Atonement. And in that uh, feast of the Day of Atonement, you had the high priest uh, killing a bullocks uh, for himself and his household, and then killing a sheep uh, for himself, and to go into the tabernacle to make, a, a, I mean, the, the bullocks, if I remember correctly, I'm going from memory on all of these. Uh, I think the bullocks was for a burnt offering, and then the sheep was for a sin offering uh, for himself and to make an atonement for the tabernacle or temple and all of the furniture. And then there were two goats that were killed, excuse me, two goats that were selected, and one, they cast a lot on them, and one of them became the scapegoat, which all of the sins and the iniquities and the transgressions were uh, the the high priest would put his hand on the head of that scapegoat and they would confess all of those sins and atone uh, sins and transgressions and uh, 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 the other uh, iniquities and let that goat. He was carried out into the wilderness to die. But then the other goat was killed and the blood was taken into the Holy of Holies and sprinkled upon the uh, mercy seat and to make a sin offering for uh, all of the people. And then when the high priest got through with that, he came back out of the uh, temple or tabernacle, whichever uh, it was, uh, would, uh, depending on the, uh, the historical period of Israel. 
And <clears throat> and then the the priest uh, uh, took off his linen garment and put the royal garments back on, and then came out to the people and made an atonement for the people. That is, the high priest was at one or together with the people. And someday our high priest is going to come back and we will be at one with him. But the sin offering was made with Christ when He was here upon the earth. And uh, But this word uh, propitiation in 1 John uh, 5.10 is the same as in 1 John 2.2. 1 John 2.2 talks about that Jesus Christ, the righteous, is the propitiation for our sins. In other words, He was the expiator. He did away with our sins, we might say. It was the atoning sacrifice. And as we said before, we say again, then there was another word that is in line with this. In Romans 3 and verse 25, in Romans 3, 25, And I think all of these verses together help uh, get a full understanding. In fact, I'll read, go back up to verse uh, 23. Romans 3.23 For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And you remember what that word freely means. In case you have forgotten, I will remind you again, this word freely is the same word that is translated without a cause in the Gospel of John where Jesus said, they hated me without a cause. There was no reason for them to hate Him. Well, we were justified without a cause. There was no reason in us for God to justify us. Why? Because we were sinners. But He justified us freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. But turn to Hebrews chapter 9, where we see that this word is translated something else. Hebrews chapter 9 In verse 5, 
Well, let's read verse 3. And after the second veil, that's after they went into the tabernacle, you had the first veil, then the second veil, the tabernacle which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant, overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the golden pot that had manna, and Aaron's rod that budded, and the tab tables of the covenant. And over it, that is, over this, uh, this uh, ark of the covenant, and over it the cherubims of glory shadowing the mercy seat of which we cannot now speak particularly. The word mercy seat there is our word for uh, propitiation. That's in Romans 3. The propitiation. The mercy seat. Now go to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. Let's begin at verse 9. And He, that is Jesus, spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican or tax collector. And the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. I often wonder if my prayers are nothing more than the Pharisees. Am I just talking to myself? Or am I really praying to God? I really think about that quite often in my prayers to God. Either way, I know God hears me because He knows all things. But I often ask God, if I'm just praying within myself to forgive me and to open my understanding. I don't know. Well, I, let's just pass on. I, at least I don't I don't ever remember praying this way. 
In other words, I don't ever remember saying what the Pharisee said. If I am praying with myself, I don't ever remember having this attitude. Now, I'm quite certain that maybe sometimes I have this attitude and don't know it, but I don't remember it. The Pharisee said, I thank thee, I am not as other men are. Now, I have prayed that, but I trust that it hasn't been with the same spirit of the Pharisee. In other words, I'm thankful that God changed my wicked heart. I'm thankful that He delivered me out of the power of darkness and translated me, I believe, into the kingdom of His dear Son. And I think it's right to pray that away. But it's not right to use those words to say, well, I thank you, I'm not like everybody else. You know, not from that standpoint. Which I think that's what the Pharisee was doing here. I thank thee that I am not as other men are extortioners. Unjust. Adulterers. Or even as this publican. I fast twice a week. I give tithe of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven and smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful. God, be propitious or propitiatory. That's the word here. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. God, May the blood of Christ be poured out on the mercy seat for me. May the curse of the law be covered by the mercy seat. Remember, the law was inside the Ark of the Covenant. The mercy seat was that lid on top of it. The blood was sprinkled on the mercy seat. In other words, I want you to see how all of these pictures of the Old Testament Feast of Atonement and how the, uh, the, the, uh, the sin offering and the sacrifice, how all of that is lumped together with propitiation. Christ is our mercy seat. Christ is my sin offering. Christ is my mercy seat. You see, it's all in Christ. 
I must read verse 14. I tell you, this man, that is the publican, went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth, exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Exalted. And then this word is used back in Hebrews chapter 2. You see all these different words, how they interrelate to each other. But in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 17, it says, Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation. There's the word. For the sins of the people. To make reconciliation. Now, if you want to go back and study the Feast of Atonement, you can go back to Leviticus chapter 16 and look at verses 2 through 34 and Leviticus 23 verses 26 through 36. But I tried to give an overview of it so you can see how when uh, uh, John wrote here in his epistle in verse 10, herein is love, not that we love God. Love is not uh, displayed in our love for God so much as it is in God in that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation, the reconciliation, the mercy seat, the sin offering, the redemption. In other words, this one, your, this one word it kind of rolls all of these ideas up together. This is what our Lord come to do. This is what our Lord come to do. This is love. Not that Jesus came to make salvation possible, but He redeemed. He didn't just try. He accomplished. He fulfilled all that the Father sent Him to do. Beloved, verse 11, if God so loved us, if God loved us in this way, we ought to love one another. We ought to love one another. Now, as we saw this morning in Matthew chapter 5 that we're to love our enemies, how much more ought we to love the brethren? How much more ought we to love the brethren? 
Look at Ephesians chapter 4. Here we get a a glimpse. We could multiply verses of Scriptures to prove this point. But let's, let's see how much... Uh, let's see about God's love toward us. Ephesians 4... We'll just read the last two verses. Ephesians 4, 31, 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. What is it that we were? Bitter. Full of wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking with malice. Notice what the Word tells about us in Titus chapter 3. Titus 3.3 For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers' lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful in hating one another. In other words, if God loved us when we were like that, and we ought to love one another as Christ loved us, then we don't just love the brethren when everything's going rosy. We love the brethren when they are out of sorts. Wouldn't it be nice if we all were so sweet and nice and made out of sugar and spice. Never rubbed each other the wrong way. But that's not the case, is it? And sometimes people that profess to be Christian are so ignorant, I almost said naive, but I think it goes a little bit beyond uh, being naive. They're so ignorant that they think that everybody else 
ought to always be sweet and nice and always just uh, doing everything right while everybody else is supposed to look over their shortcomings. In other words, they don't think that... uh, they think everybody ought to treat them uh, just uh, sweet and kind and tender-hearted and never differ with them and, and so on and so forth. But if they get out of sorts, that's all right. No, we're all sinners. Now, it doesn't make our sinfulness right. That's for sure. But we're sinners. And we have to put up with each other and we have to love one another. We have to be long-suffering. We have to suffer. Christ loved me and gave Himself for me. Do I love you enough to give myself for you? Or am I so busy doing my own thing that I don't stop and take the time to at least pray for you. And maybe sometimes just call you and tell you how much I love you. We don't do enough of that. All we try to when somebody's sick and sore and kindly out of the way and going through a rough time, try to do that, and that, and that's good, but uh, we all just lacking. We're all just lacking. So help us to may we may we try to be mindful to go out of our way from time to time to express our love one from the other. God's love toward us. Romans nine eleven talks about how that God loved us before we had done any good or evil. You know, I don't understand that. I know what the words say. 
but that the purpose of God according to election might stand not of works. He loved us before the world was. And He loves us presently as we have seen in Ephesians. He loves us when we're unlovely. You know, if uh, well, let, let's turn there to uh, John chapter seventeen. I don't know when I first became aware of what was spoken there, but notice what John. Recorded in Matthew's, in our Lord's Prayer. John 17 23, Jesus said, I in them and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. And then in the end of verse 24, Jesus said, Thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. Now, now think about that. We've already spoken from Romans 9 11 how He loved us before the world began. He elected us in Christ before the world began. But He loved us. Notice what Jesus said. As thou hast loved me. How much did the Father love the Son? Well, if you can put a, uh, a figure on that, that's how much He loves you. And you know what? God the Son and God the Father and the Holy Spirit, but God will not love you anymore when you're glorified than He does right now. That just blows my mind. It doesn't blow it as much as it ought. He will not love you any more then than He loves you now. Because He loves you just as much as He loves Christ. That's astounding, isn't it? That sure puts a A huge, what's the word I'm looking for? That sure puts a huge quantity of how much I ought to love you, isn't it? If we're to love one another as Christ loved us.
He loved us when we were unlovely. He loved us so much that He gave His Son to die for us. The classic passage, John 3.16, For God so loved the world, that is the world of His elect, that He gave His only begotten Son. 2 Peter 5.21 For God hath made Him to be sin for us, that we should be made the righteousness of God in Him. As Paul said in Galatians 2.20, Christ loved me and gave Himself for me. And as John said in his first epistle, which we've already quoted, but we say it, I read it in John 3.16, where he said, Hereby perceive we the love of God, because He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Yes, we have a great challenge before us. Well, I want to take up more in detail verse 12, but we will wait and come back to that and do that, Lord willing, next time. But aren't you thankful for the love of God? You know how, much, how we're going to show our thankfulness for the love of God? Is to love His people accordingly. To love His people accordingly. Beloved, that's a huge challenge. It's one that it, it'll take a lifetime to fulfill. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, forgive us of our indifference and lack of love and selfishness. And yet at the same time, bless us to have this way of life that we seek to walk in the steps of our blessed Master. Apply the things that I've been trying to talk about this afternoon and this morning to the hearts of all who hear as only you can. In Jesus' name, Amen.